Pretty powerful. Good morning. So good to see everybody on this Resurrection Sunday. That skit you just saw is going to tie right into the message this morning. It's going to be taken from a text in the book of Daniel chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn there to Daniel 6. For the last few years in a row, I've taken an Old Testament story to serve as the basis for the Easter message, and this year is going to be no different. The reason why I've done that isn't because I'm intentionally just trying to do something kind of different and unique just because it's Easter. It's because these Old Testament stories all emphasize a particular aspect of what the death and resurrection of Jesus is all about and what it means for us today. Everything God did in the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus. And when we read these stories with that in mind, we can see uh, many similarities between them and the gospel. They are foreshadows of what God was going to do through Jesus. Today, we're going to be looking at a story that uh, whether you regularly attend church or not, I'm sure you're familiar with this one. It's about Daniel. Daniel was a Hebrew who was living at a time when Israel was divided into two kingdoms. Uh, Daniel was a part of the kingdom of Judah when the Babylonians came and conquered them and took many of the Hebrews away as slaves in Babylon. Daniel was part of a small group of uh, some of the brightest and it says best looking young men whom the king of Babylon singled out to, to come work for him in his court. During his life there in Babylon, Daniel stood out quite a bit with his impeccable integrity and his miraculous ability to interpret dreams. Well, many years go by and the Babylonians are eventually conquered by the Persians. But the Persian king Darius sees what an asset Daniel is and so he keeps him to serve in his court. And again, Daniel just keeps moving up the ranks till he eventually becomes one of three commissioners who are put in charge of managing the affairs of the whole kingdom. Verse 3 of Daniel 6 says, Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit, and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. This is when Daniel was now much older. And the other commissioners, they were jealous of him, and so they devised a way to get rid of him. Knowing that Daniel was really devoted to God, they go to the king and they really pump up his ego. And they say, King, we think that you should make a decree that, that if, if anyone looks to or prays to anyone else besides you, then they should be put to death by being cast into a den of lions. Well, the king agrees with this and signs off on the new law. Daniel finds out about it, but instead of letting it keep him from doing what he had always done, instead of allowing it to, to keep him in hiding or anything like that, he actually opens the windows of his bedroom and continues to pray three times a day, just like he had always done. Of course, the others see this, and they go and report it to the king, and Darius now regrets making such a foolish and arrogant um, decree because he realizes now that it has cost him his uh, best and most favorite official. We're going to pick up the story in verse 14 of Daniel 6. So let's all stand together in honor of God's word this morning. Daniel 6, 
starting in verse 14, it says, Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. A stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles, so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. Then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. Then the king arose at dawn at the break of day and went in haste to the lion's den. And when he had come near to the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me inasmuch as I was found innocent before him. And also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found in him because he had trusted his God. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful for just the opportunity we have this morning to gather like this together, Lord, and and just praise your name. Lord, to focus in on what your death and your, especially your resurrection really means for us. God, I pray for those this morning that may be in here that really don't know what it means. Lord, today you would give them that revelation. God, I pray that we have an encounter with you. Lord, reveal your truth to us and let it change us from the inside out. In your name I pray, amen. Daniel is one of those characters in the Bible who appears to be there in order to serve as an example of someone we should model our lives after. And there have been many character studies written on Daniel for that purpose. I mean, why not? Daniel is a classic example of someone with rock-solid integrity, of someone who refused to be influenced by the culture around him, of someone who remained devoted to God in the midst of a people who weren't, an example of someone who wasn't willing to compromise his values for the sake of his position. We could go on and on with all these great qualities of Daniel that we all should strive for, but the problem with that is that if If we make the book of Daniel about Daniel, we completely miss the actual purpose of his story. Even though the book is entitled Daniel, the main character at the center of the story is actually Jesus. And Daniel himself would be the first to tell us that he's not there to show us how to live. He's there to point us to Jesus. Daniel is what we call a shadow or a type of Christ. He represents Jesus in the story. And when we see this account of Daniel in the lion's den from that perspective, we see a lot of parallels between the two. For example, Daniel was from uh, the kingdom of Judah. 
The family that Jesus was born into on earth was from the tribe of Judah. In verse 4 of chapter 1, it says that Daniel was one of the youths in whom there was no defect. He was a model of perfection, which is why both kings wanted to uh, keep him for their service. And so this perfect man was taken from his home and placed in a foreign land full of evil. Much like Jesus, the, the sinless son of God who, who left the perfection of heaven to come into this foreign land, a world broken by sin and full of evil. Daniel served the sworn enemies of his people, yet he developed a genuine concern for their well-being. He wouldn't have been so good at his job as an official if he wasn't concerned about them. The Bible says that apart from Christ, we are enemies of God. And so Jesus, too, came into a world full of his enemies, as John 3, 1 says, not to judge it, but to save it, not to be served, but to serve. He had a genuine concern for the well-being of those who were considered enemies of God. He wouldn't have gone around healing the sick and the lame and loving on the outcast if he didn't. Daniel was destined to rule the entire kingdom, which was the plan that King Darius had for him. Much like Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God on earth and he was destined to rule and reign over it. But the other commissioners conspired to thwart that plan by making false accusations against Daniel. Just like the religious leaders conspired to thwart the plan of God by making false accusations against Jesus. Verse 14 and 15 said that the king kept trying to think of ways to get Daniel out of this. But he finally realized that once that decree had been made... There was no other way. Daniel had to die in order for the king to remain true to his word. In the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing what was about to happen, knowing what was coming in the hours of head, Jesus prayed, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. But there was no other way way because long ago God decreed that the required payment for our sin was the shedding of innocent blood Jesus had to die in order for God to remain true to his word another similarity is the way of course they were both condemned to death Daniel to the lions Jesus to the cross When Daniel was thrown in, we just read how it said a stone was laid over the mouth and sealed. Matthew 27 says that Jesus was laid in a tomb and a large stone was rolled against the entrance. And in fearing that the disciples would come and steal his body during the night, they requested, the religious leaders requested that the grave be secured. So verse 66 says that they set a seal on the stone. And so we can see all these parallels between the story of Daniel and the gospel. But of course, the most glaring difference between the two is that Daniel didn't die, but Jesus did. Daniel was sentenced to death, but the lions refused to bite. Jesus was sentenced to death, and even though he could have prevented it just as easy as he closed the mouth of those lions, the sentence was carried out. Jesus died, and it's a good thing for you and me that he did. And right here is where the similarities and differences of the two 
overlap and come together. If you're following along there in the notes in the bulletin, the first point is this. Daniel came out of the den having cheated death. Jesus came out of the tomb having defeated death. Daniel cheated death, but Jesus defeated death. But it's what happened between the time they went in and the time that they came out that I really want to focus on this morning. Because although it's really neat to see these similarities between the gospel and the Old Testament stories, it doesn't really do us a lot of good if we aren't learning something in those stories about what it means for us to be in Christ now. So what does the story of Daniel and the lion's den mean for us today? That's what I want us to see. And then the first thing I want to point out is that the fact that these were lions in this den means something. Because it could have very easily been a den of cobras, a den of leopards, or a den of many other different things that can kill someone. But the fact that it was a den of lions means something. What is it about these lines? What was it about these lines that made them so deadly, so dangerous? Or really, what is it about all lines, for that matter, that makes them so dangerous? Well, it's their mouth and their claws, but primarily that huge mouth full of sharp teeth. But it's not necessarily the power in a lion's bite that makes it so deadly. Believe it or not, lions actually have one of the weakest bites in the animal kingdom as far as jaw strength, especially among big cats. But what a lion lacks in biting force, it more than makes up for in precision. A lion instinctively knows where the weakest spot is on its prey that will ensure the quickest death. And it's right in the jugular vein of the neck. They always go for the neck. When making a kill. And those long sharp teeth are perfectly made for piercing the flesh and completely severing that artery. So I don't believe it's a coincidence that the Bible refers to Satan as a roaring lion. In 1 Peter 5, 8 it says, Be on the alert for your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour He's also called the accuser of the brethren, the father of lies, and the deceiver. And I believe this is why he's referred to as a roaring lion, because like a lion, the most dangerous part of Satan is his mouth, his lying, deceiving, accusing mouth, and he knows how to use it to attack with absolute precision. The way he tries to devour us is by getting us to believe those lying accusations that he attacks us with. He attacks our identity knowing that everything that we do has everything to do with what we believe about ourselves. Our identity always lines up with our actions. Satan knows that, and so he's going to constantly try to attack who we are in Christ and make us believe something that we're not. And he knows precisely where we are the weakest and where we are the most vulnerable at believing those lies that he attacks us with, just like a lion going for the jugular vein. And that skit you just saw, every one of those young people up here, those were the actual 
lies that they get attacked by Satan with. Those were the, their real weaknesses in real life that they deal with all the time and have to battle against by standing in truth. It took a lot of courage for them to stand up here and be that honest and vulnerable with all of you. But the reason, there's a reason why they could do that that we're going to see in just a minute. But look at verse 22 again. Daniel says, My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me inasmuch as I have been found innocent before him. God prevented the deadliest part of those lions from doing any harm at all. And he made a point to say he closed their mouths. I mean, obviously, he prevented them from clawing him to death too, but he doesn't mention that. He specifically mentions the fact that he closed their mouths, the most dangerous and deadliest part of them. So listen to me. It's important we get this. When Jesus went into the grave, he took with him every accusation that Satan could use to condemn us. He took all of our sin, all of our guilt, every shameful act you have ever done was sealed behind that stone. Every label that someone else has tried to put on you was buried with him. You ever been called a loser? A mistake? A failure? Some of you have been called that and you've been wearing it for a long time because you've actually believed it. And it's affected your whole life because, like I said... Our actions always line up with what we believe about ourselves. Some of you have had lots of failures in life because you believe the lie that you are a failure. You ever felt like nobody loves you? Anyone ever make you feel like you were just dirty? That you're not good enough? That you're not wanted? That you're not worth staying for? That you're not worth someone sobering up for. It's the accusations and the lies of Satan and he knows where it hurts the most. Listen to me. Jesus absorbed every one of those things and they were buried with him in that tomb. Three days later, he walked out of that grave having defeated death and every accusation that Satan tries to use to devour you. A few weeks ago, we were going through our series in Hebrews, and I skipped over verse 14 of chapter 2 because I said we were going to be looking at it today. And here's what it says. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Just as Daniel went into that lion's den and the power of God closed their mouths and rendered those lions powerless, so Jesus went into the grave and the power of God rendered Satan and all of his lies and accusations completely powerless. Jesus, by his death and resurrection, has rendered Satan powerless. That means he can no longer devour those who are in Christ with his accusations and lies. Why? 
because it is impossible for those things now to stick. Those accusations no longer have any legitimacy whatsoever. You see, for, for those who put all of their hope in Jesus being their only way to be made right with God, this great exchange happens. And the exchange is this. Jesus gets all your sin, your guilt, your shame, your failures, those labels that you tend to believe in. Everything Satan could use against you, Jesus takes upon himself. And you know what you get in return? His righteousness, his perfection, his blamelessness. It's not something you earn. It's not something you have to prove you're worthy of having. It is simply a free gift of his amazing grace that he gives to those who believe. How can an accusation of Satan stick to someone who has been given the righteousness of Jesus himself? It can't. There is nothing for it to stick to. And so the next point is this. Accusations can't stick to the righteousness of Jesus. They no longer have any merit. Why? Because Jesus is perfect. He's sinless. He's blameless. It doesn't depend on your righteousness. If it did depend on yours, then they would be able to stick. Because I'm telling you right now, I promise you, your righteousness, no matter how good you think you are, is not that righteous at all. Isaiah 64, 6, it says, all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags to God. Next point, if you're in Christ, you wear the righteousness of Christ. It's his righteousness that it depends on, not yours. No accusation can stand against that. That is precisely why Paul said in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation there because we have been cleared innocent of all charges. They can't stick anymore. Look again at why Daniel says the mouths of the lions were closed in verse 22. He says, I was found innocent before him. Notice the him there is capitalized, which means it's referring to God. If you are in Christ, you stand innocent before God, which means the mouth of Satan has been closed. It cannot do the harm that it would normally be capable of. But you need to make sure you understand this last point here. The only way an accusation can stick is if you let it. Is if you let it stick. You let it stick by not believing who you are in Christ, but not believing that you have been clothed in his righteousness. You may say, well, I don't feel very righteous. Lord knows I don't act very righteous at times. Well, it doesn't depend on that. It's just a matter of you believing in the truth of what Jesus has done for you. If you're in Christ, you can say with full confidence, I may have done the things they said I did, but I'm not who they say I am. I'm clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. I'm loved by a good, good father. I'm accepted, not rejected. I'm innocent of all charges brought against me. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done for me. 
That's why the people in this skit could come up here and allow in their weaknesses and those real lies that Satan tries to use to attack them with while they could stand here and let them all be known by you is because they know that those lies no longer have any power. They know that those accusations can't stick because they stand in the righteousness of Jesus. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And I love those rhetorical questions he asked in Romans 8, 33, where he says, who can bring a charge against God's elect? I mean, he's like, he's saying, are you kidding me? The understood answer is nobody can. Nobody can bring a charge against you. And then he says, who condemns? Nobody can condemn, not when you wear the righteousness of Jesus. There's another lion that the Bible talks about, and this lion is greater than all others. Satan may roar like a lion, but he's just a weak little old kitten compared to this lion. The real lion of the Bible is Jesus who the book of Revelation calls the Lion of Judah. Now, if we were to use an animal that more accurately represents Satan, there is no doubt in my mind that it would be a hyena. Seriously, I'm fixing to show you a video of why. This clip you're about to see is from a National Geographic documentary that was done many years ago on the relationship between lions and hyenas, and it is still the best one I've ever seen by far. And I learned a lot about hyenas watching this, um, some that uh, I could have just lived fine without knowing about them because they are just disturbing animals. And I'm now convinced, after what I know about them, that if it is possible that God allowed Satan to create just one thing when he was making everything, it would have been a hyena. I used to think it was either fire ants or bahia grass, but now I'm convinced <laughs> that, that it's a hyena. <laughs> if he didn't allow him to do that, then God sure enough made it just to represent Satan and his demonic minions that wreak havoc and harass God's people all over this earth. Everything about hyenas just doesn't fit with the natural order of the rest of creation. For one thing, both males and females both possess male body parts. The packs are led by a dominant female rather than a male. Hyenas operate within a matriarchal society, whereas the rest of the animal kingdom pretty much operates um, in a patriarchy. They constantly steal from other animals. The siblings in a litter start killing each other right after they are born. They're just the nastiest, most wicked and perverted animals that exist on this planet. And they make that creepy noise that sounds like a wicked laugh, too. Well, this documentary follows a particular group of hyenas that is led by this matriarch, dominant female, and a pride of lions led by an awesome male whose name is Entwi Damela, which means he who greets with fire. He kind of stays to himself at a distance from the rest of the pride, but his presence is always felt. And every time these hyenas come harassing and mocking and just irritating these lions, which it seems that 
hyenas are just created to do, Entwined Damela comes in with a vengeance. They also call him the hyena killer. And the reason why I want you to see this National Geographic clip here on Easter Sunday morning is because the Bible tells us in Romans that God's eternal attributes, his divine nature, are clearly seen in what has been made. God reveals certain aspects about himself in nature and everything that he created around us. And I just love seeing it. When I do, you know, I'm usually pointing it out to you. Well, this video clip is a great example of that. What's happening here is the head matriarch of the hyenas, she is just out harassing lions again. She is mocking and irritating and challenging them just like Satan does with his annoying tacks and accusations that he comes at us with. The first line you're going to see is this impressive-looking young male lion named Mondevu. He's not the leader. He's just kind of a, a leader in training, but he's just out on the prairie minding his own business when this matriarchal hyena starts taunting and mocking him. Other lions see what's happening, and they start coming over, and things get a little tense. And some of the other lions are actually beginning to be intimidated by these smaller hyenas. Well, the tension begins to grow, and, and they're making these sounds, and these sounds eventually make their way to entwine the Mela, and here he comes. And I want you to watch this from the perspective of that matriarchal hyena you're going to see representing Satan, and entwine the Mela being the line of Judah. What happens here represents precisely what Jesus accomplished when he walked out of that grave. Watch this. Once again, Mondevu is away from the pride, patrolling on the grassland. The new clan matriarch is in attendance, following his every move. display of overlapping territorial language, the lion marks against the hyena. Usually, territories are disregarded by other species, but now the matriarch and the pride male express their hostility with unmistakable actions. This new matriarch is confident and defiant, marking where he marks and harassing the much larger lion. attract support from other clan members and don't go unnoticed by the lionesses on the edge of the open area. The matriarch seems to succeed in the psychological warfare. for food. 
when Matsuri leads the pride out to meet the hyenas, it is to do battle once again with their eternal enemies. Frenzied calls filter across the bush to the keen ears of Intwai Dumela, he who greets with fire. They belongs to the lions because their king killed the matriarch. The day belongs to the people of God because our king has rendered powerless the lies of Satan. So what I want you to do, yeah, that's worth clapping for. When Satan tries to harass you with his accusations and lies, trying to attack your identity in Christ, I want you to remember back to this video, and I want you to picture that lion hunting down and killing that hyena. Remember, that's what Jesus has done for you, that those accusations cannot stick because he has rendered him powerless. Jesus went into the tomb as the sacrificed lamb of God. He walked out of it as the Lion of Judah. You also, everyone should have this bookmark that was made specifically for today. It's got a picture of the stone being rolled away with a majestic lion standing under it. I encourage you to just keep those with you. Put them somewhere where you can see it. So, so when those accusations and those lies do come, you can look at this and remember what the truth is. Remember what Jesus has done. Is that good news or what? It is. (laughs) Let's pray. God, I thank you for the victory that you have secured for us at the cross and at the grave. And Lord, I pray for those right now who have just been under such a, a burden of weight from the lies that they have believed in, whether they have been placed on them by somebody else. Maybe it was a, a parent long ago. 
I put those lying labels on them, God. Lord, I pray that this morning you would set them free from that burden. Lord, you would release them from those bondage, that bondage of lies that has just kept them held back for so long. And Lord, that they are able to truly understand what it means to be in you and they believe their true identity of who they are in you. God, I pray for those in here that may not know you. Lord, that can't say, I wear the righteousness of Jesus because they've just been living life according to their own ways, trying to make it on their own goodness. God, I pray today you would bring them to repentance and let them realize it is only by your righteousness that they stand a chance. Holy Spirit, would you come and just have your way in our hearts, renew our minds, change us for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.